than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Meryl Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, and thank you so much for joining us today. You know how much I appreciate it because I know how stressed and overwhelmed and you are as a caregiver for many, many people. So I really do appreciate it when you take the time to join us. So the most listened to show, number one, that we've ever done was on the topic of family estrangement. So whether it was our Facebook video or the podcast of the show, This is an issue that seems to have touched many, many people. We've received lots and lots of emails and many comments on Facebook Live that just speak to the anguish and just heartbreak of both parents and also of adult children. We're so fortunate that Dr. Joshua Coleman, who was our guest on the original show, is actually again with us today. And so we're so grateful, Dr. Coleman, that you've agreed to join us today. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. So, Dr. Coleman is a psychologist who is in private practice, and he's co-chair of the Council on Contemporary Families, and he's been a frequent guest on the Today Show and NPR, and his blogs and advice have appeared in the New York Times, the Times of London, Psychology Today, and many, many others. So, this is your opportunity to really benefit from Dr. Coleman's advice, Um, and so I urge you, if you'd like to, to call in 1-866- 472-5792. Once again, 866-472-5792. So, Dr. Coleman, give us some examples of some common types of family estrangement that you encounter. Sure. Um, well, um, I would say in my, my clinical practice, the most, the most common thing that parents have in common who... Um, um, who've been estranged is a divorce between the parents. So, and um, it's not true of all, but probably 75 to 80 percent of the parents who contact me for help um, are divorced from the child who's now estranged. And there's a number of different reasons for that. One is that divorce can cause the child, even if the parents manage it well, the child of any age, including great divorces, divorces that happen when the parents are in their 60s or, or over, it can cause the adult child or a younger child to view the divorce as kind of a good guy, bad guy, winners and losers. So the child may ally themselves more against with one parent against the other parent, even if the parents are reasonable. But parents... Um, don't always handle it reasonably. Some parents uh, very intentionally, either unconsciously or consciously, attempt to negatively influence the child against one parent. Um, another reason may be that the we know that however problematic divorce may be, it's not nearly as problematic for children of any age when parents remarry uh, or recouple. Um, and that's because it may bring it brings in new people into the child's life, young children or adult children, um, to for the for the child of any age to feel competitive with for emotional and financial resources. 
Uh, they may just may not like the person that mom or dad is remarrying. They're, they may not like that person's kids, or they may feel competitive with them. Uh, that's a common source of conflict. And finally, in a highly individualistic culture like ours, divorce can cause children of any age to see their parents more as individuals with their own relative strengths and weaknesses and less as a family unit that they're a part of. So I would say divorce is one common thing. But another common well, thing... Dr. Okay. Pablo, before go you go to the next one, let yeah. me ask you a question. Because <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a mother, all right, yep. um, I'm like now feeling like in, in, in panic because I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I was thinking that I need to get out of this marriage and I mm. possibly need to divorce. And, oh, my gosh, now Dr. Coleman just told me that mm. if I do that, I'll be estranged from my children. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's really what you're saying, are you? I'm not saying that divorce will cause it. I'm saying it's it's a it's it it has the potential to weaken the parent's relationship with the child over the life course. It doesn't always do that. There are some cases where it may actually strengthen it. For example, in those cases where a parent may have been more sidelined because of the problematic dynamics in the family household, in some cases a divorce may cause the parent to do a better job or to be more freed up, to have more time with the kid. Um, so it, it, divorce doesn't always... Um, doesn't always create that dynamic. It just opens the door. It does create fault lines for the potential for a later estrangement to happen. Now, it isn't like the vast majority of people. So I'm saying two things. I'm saying on the one hand, the majority of people that that in my practice that contact me that have an estrangement are divorced from um, you know, have a divorce and their background from the child is now estranged. But that doesn't mean that the vast majority of divorced people are estranged from their adult children. So those, those two operate independently. Most people aren't estranged from their adult children. It's still a minority of the population, but it's, it's still a significant percentage of the population. Does that okay. clarify it at all? Yeah, yeah, that helps. Okay, Thank you. Sure. I, I just feel so much better now. I, I, I like, don't have to go eat a whole box of cookies. You can so go I ahead appreciate that. that. You've always dreamed of it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, I'm um, leaving the show. I'm going home right now. So okay, good. <laughs> so what was what was what was the second? <laughs> Is that your husband on the other line? Um, so, so what, uh, no, actually, it was our engineer. So, what was the um, second most um, uh, common sure. type of estrangement you say? So, I think the second most common is when the adult child gets married, and there's issues between the parent or parents and the son-in-law or daughter-in-law, um, because um, that's it's a big rite of passage. There, you know, if the parent has expressed critical or negative feelings about the person that their son or daughter is marrying, that can develop a wedge between um, in the families. If the son or our daughter-in-law just doesn't like that parent, um, that can that can cause an estrangement later down the line. Um, if the person that they're married is more troubled, that can that can cause it. So that's certainly very common. If there's any issues around a mental illness, either on the part of the parent on the, or on the part of the adult child or on the part of the person that the adult child is marrying, that can increase the probability. Um, I think the way that parenting has changed in the past four decades where there's been much more kind of what has been variously described as intensive 
parenting or concerted cultivation or hothouse parenting or helicopter parenting, where parents are just much more involved in their children's lives. We've seen a fathers spend four times as much or three times as much time with their children in the past four decades as they did before then. Mothers, even career mothers, spend twice as much time with their children than mothers did four decades ago. So there's much more time with children, and you know, for the most part, that works out really well. Um, you know, more in general, I would say more adult children feel closer to their parents than they did in prior generations. But it can also backfire. It can cause the child to feel a stronger need to separate from the parent. It strengthens the child's voice where they can feel like they have the right to do what they want to do, where they don't have to prioritize the parent's feelings. There's been a decrease culturally in, in the kind of ethos of, uh, the ethos of you know, honor thy mother and thy father, respect your elders, um, those kinds of things, kind of the ethics that guided prior generations have been largely replaced with a kind of individualism that one's own feelings are the most important thing. And so, so the kind of glue that kept families together in prior decades has really been kind of gradually worn away in the past half century, in particular in the past four decades. So because of all those reasons, um, you know, if an adult child doesn't want to have a relationship with a parent, there's relatively little that compels them to do it beyond whether or not that adult child likes the parent. So, so a lot of my techniques and strategies for parents is around getting them to communicate in a way that can um, either heal the mistakes that they made in the past or be more respectful of the child's, adult child's perspective and feelings and all those kinds of things. So before we get to the techniques that you have, I, I want to ask, do you find that the dynamics, and I understand the relationships between parents and children are are different, mm-hmm. but do you find the dynamics of estrangement um, uh, the same between siblings? I'm talking about adult siblings now. Because mm-hmm. at Sarah Care, when we're taking care of seniors, we, we see a lot of that um, fighting mm-hmm. and conflict. Uh, between yeah. siblings, or or do you see it and estrangement? You know, I haven't spoken to my brother in five years. I haven't spoken to my sister in eight years. Yeah. Um, is it the same type of dynamic, or is it different? I think it's very different. Um, I think that that siblings are more on an equal playing field, um, even though then there's just a different kind of a history with siblings than there is as parents. Um, I don't think it costs siblings in general as much psychologically as it costs parents um, and grandparents who are cut off from their adult children and grandchildren. I think, however hurtful it may be if a sibling estranges themselves, it isn't the same kind of a blow to identity that it is um, when when, uh, a parent feels cut off by an adult child. Now, there's plenty of adult children who've been damaged by their parents through all kinds of different ways, child abuse, sexual molestation, um, neglect, etc. So it, it's not like it's, it's not like the adult children are the only one hurting the parents. There's, you know, there's, it, there's plenty of pain to go around. But, it, but the dynamics are quite different and there's just not the same kind of, siblings aren't typically as motivated to do the kind of hard work that parents are more motivated to do. So, so the dynamics are often quite different. So I know that, um, uh, and we do only have a few minutes before the break, so sure. this may be a difficult question, but you you speak in your work about your own estrangement from uh, your own daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that influence the work that you do with, with parents and adult children now? 
Sure. Well, we were we were estranged for a couple of years in her early twenties, and we've been reconciled since then. She's quite a bit older, fortunately. Um, well, I I think it just shows me the depth of pain that a parent can have who's going through it, and it just ups my commitment level to to working. When I'm working with a parent, I do know you know they're what it's like to sit on to be in that position and how both heartbreaking and terrifying and infuriating and helpless you can feel. And so that kind of gives me a window of empathy that I don't think I would have otherwise. And I also don't think I'd make the mistakes that most therapists make when counseling parents who are going through this. Ah, good advice. All right. Well, this is Dr. Merle Griff. I'm with Dr. Joshua Coleman, and we're talking about family estrangement. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to get into the business of if you do have estrangement, what are the techniques and some things you can do to begin to heal those rifts between you and your adult children, or if you're an adult child, between you and your parent. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Dr. Joshua Coleman, who is a psychologist and the author of When Parents Hurt, uh, Compassionate Strategies When You and Your Grown Child Don't Get Along. So before we begin discussing some of the techniques to make amends, um, in either direction. I, I, I want to say that as a therapist, I often hear adult children blaming their parents. Um, and I know the tendency is is for a parent to get angry or upset or frustrated and say, or they want to say, look, you know, you're 38 years old, you know, whatever happened, get over it already. All right. So what is your advice to adult children who are still blaming their parents for their unhappiness or their dissatisfaction with their lives? In a way that 
maximizes the probability of getting a good response back. I think that I genuinely think that most parents do the best that they can, even when they do a terrible job. I think if parents could have done a better job than they would have for the most part, even when they're doing enormous harm. So I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm just sort of stating to me with something that feels like a, like a fact. So I think if you're an adult child and you're wanting a better relationship with your parent or you want them to hear the way that you feel hurt by them or damaged or the way that they've affected your self-esteem, then just approaching it from the perspective of knowing that you're going to get a defensive response if you come in with guns blazing. They probably, unless they're a fairly unique person, are not going to be able to hear what you want them to hear if you're putting it in really critical language. So you're better off saying something like, I know that you you know, really did try the best that you could. And if there's things that you do appreciate about your parent, you know, I know you put a roof over our head or put me through school or if the parent couldn't afford to, whatever it is, some acknowledgement that you did see whatever good things that your parent did. Um, um, But I would like you to be able to empathize with some of the things that were problematic in our relationship, particularly if you're an estranged kid and you're contemplating uh, reconciling with your parent. You could say, I am, you know, open or interested in having a relationship with you, but I do need these things to be different, and I want to see if you're open to that. Uh, or if we can try talking about it, A, and B, if we can't, you know, if we could perhaps do a few sessions with a qualified professional. Um, I mean, I always think the parent should pay for the therapy, but I don't know if you can, you know, if, you, if your parent has a lot more money, then you should just assume that they would. But um, some adult children want to pay for their own therapy just so they don't feel kind of beholden. Um, but the main thing is to try to put it in a way which is going to maximize the chance of your getting a good response back. And then also to ask, be kind of specific about what you'd like back. Kind of like, I would just like to hear you say that you're sorry about that or that you acknowledge that that was hurtful to me or that, you know, that did have an impact on me or that my life might be in a different place today than it would be otherwise if you had, um, you know, had made some different decisions. But that kind of thing, I think, would be a, a good way to approach the conversation. So I think that as a parent, I I mean, I know as a parent, I could probably tell you rapidly, you know, much more rapidly than I, the the things I didn't do well as opposed Mm -hmm. to things I did well, Mm -hmm. you know, as a parent. And and sometimes I think through the decisions I made and, and now, of course, years later and having some distance on it, I say, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, and it is hard for, mm-hmm. I think, for parents to to come to terms with that. From, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, you know, I think it's particularly hard for those parents who had their own childhood traumas and off, actually did do a much better job than their parents did with them. So it's not uncommon for, you know, somebody who grew up with, you know, abject child abuse or some other kind of terrible, terrible child rearing, and then they grew up, and, you know, maybe they were more critical than the kid wanted them to be, and rightfully so, um, and it's not like the child actually at any age really, you know, can, knows what the own, their own parent went through, but that own parent's capacity to be able to not defensively hear what that adult child is saying is compromised by that, own, by that parent's trauma. So if you come into parenting and you've been deeply traumatized by your own childhood, it probably is going to affect your parenting. Um, and even if you do a reasonable job, when 
if your kid wants to come back and say, well, I didn't like how you did X, Y, or Z, your capacity to respond to that in a more healthy, neutral way is going to be compromised just neurologically because you're just you're going to be wired to look anticipate danger because of how much trauma you've been through. So, so I do think that you know it's important that we as a culture not be so hard on parents a or b be more focused on what the parents own history was like when um, kind of contemplating these these kinds of conversations because often they don't go well for the for the parents who who actually you know in some ways may have done harm to their kids but the parent is also coming from a place of having a lot of harm having done been done to them so so it's you talk all very about complicated What's that? It is. You you talk about in techniques and ways mm-hmm. to kind of make amends. And um, when there is estrangement and you're in the midst mm-hmm. of that turmoil, I mean, an example of one of those things that I know um, for our listeners from before that really touched them uh, was the apology letter. Can can mm-hmm. you explain that to us? Yeah, I think that, that if you're estranged from a kid or you have a kid who's not talking to you very much or they've told you what what is... Um, their complaints are about you. It's, you know, first of all, it's very hard for most parents to be able to just empathize at the level that their kids need. But I think if your kid, your adult child is estranged from you, it's it's kind of critically important that you do. And one of the ways to do it is is to look at it um, from a few different perspectives. One is to find the kernel of truth in what they're saying. So they may say, oh, you were so neglectful of me as as a... kid, when I was a kid, um, and maybe your child felt neglected because you had to work two jobs to be able to put food on the table or put them through school. It's not, you know, and you were a single mother, for example. It's pretty hard to hear, a you know, your kid say you were so neglectful of me when actually you were showing your love and dedication by being gone all the time at work. Um, so you're not, you're, but you won't get anywhere if you just defend yourself. You're much better off saying, yeah, I know that that was very hard on you and that you suffered as a result of that. I wish my life, you know, had been, I wish I had been in a position where I could have given you more, but I could see why that was hurtful to you or problematic to you. In other words, you make it about um, their, about what their experience was, not about the right or wrongness of it, and not about defending yourself, which is so hard for parents to do. Uh, but critically important. The other thing that's principle that's helpful to parents is the principle of separate realities. And that is the idea that you could, you can reasonably feel like you're a good parent and objectively even be judged as a good parent. And, you know, any of us may have still missed really important things that our children needed growing up that we couldn't see. So your kid may say, well, I wish you had sent me to therapy earlier. I wish you had gotten me tutors or, you know, I wish you had been pushed me harder or pushed me less or whatever. And you may reasonably feel like you were, you know, did a really good job, but just reminding your kid of all the things that you did right doesn't really address whatever it is that they're trying to address with you. So if you come out from the principles of separate realities, you're saying to yourself, well, I actually thought I was doing a good job. You don't say that to your kid. You say, well, I can see how that would have been better for you if I had seen that. I'm sorry that I, that I didn't at the time. You're right. That what, that might have been better for you or, you know, maybe your maybe your life would have turned out differently if I had been able to to do a better job of that. Now, some parents will say to me, "Well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm enabling them." But you know, it's not about self humiliation; it's about humility. You're kind of saying, "Yeah, I I probably did miss something really important that you really needed. I'm really sorry, and I and I could see how that might have been 
been better for you if I had been able to do that. So the, the biggest principle is just not defending yourself. Just assume if your kid is complaining about you, in some ways they're giving you an opportunity to repair it and have a very different kind of relationship. It's, so, so, and to so, say, you just the final point is just don't say if I did anything wrong because it doesn't sound it doesn't take any courage to make that statement. You have to say things that actually show that you're kind of willing to take the hit. Yeah, go ahead. So what happens in this situation? And actually, this was a very specific situation. I'm I'm going to tell you now where the parent comes to terms with it and says, "Well, okay, you know, my my daughter is basically estranged from us and um you know, it's it's always very difficult uh, when we go to visit her, um, and so I'm I'm going to try to make amends. And so before we go out there again, I'm going to write this email, um, basically, and and say to her, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I know we always haven't seen the same way, and we you know, haven't always agreed, and so forth and so on. But you know, I I want us to. Um, try to go forward in a more positive way and so on and so on. And and she writes back a scathing, scathing email that mm-hmm. says, basically, apology not accepted. I don't really care. You were a rotten father. Um, mm-hmm. And there is no forgiveness in the world uh, wow. for what you for what you did. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, where do you go from there? Well, it depends. I mean, there are certain things where a single apology letter wouldn't be enough. Um, I mean, let's say the dad molested her. Let's say it was something, you know, there was some other serious kind of problem in parenting. Sometimes, you know, an adult child may say that, um, you know, they may say like, you know, I would never accept your apology when, when it's really like, it's going to take a lot. It's, it sort of would be her way of saying it's going to take a lot more than a single letter, you know, to get me to open the door. A. B. Writing these letters is much harder than people think. So one of the things I do I have an ongoing webinar series for estranged parents, and one of my webinar series is on, just on how to write an amends letter because it's easy to write an amends letter that just makes your kid more annoyed and shuts the door even harder than to write one which actually gets them to open the door. So, um, so, so those are a couple of points. The, the other is that maybe, you know, sometimes adult children have this reaction because there's something going on with them um, that makes it hard for them to be able to empathize. Maybe they have some form of mental, let's say it's not so much that the parent wrote a difficult letter or, or behaved in a way that was so traumatizing, but, but maybe the adult child has borderline personality or they're bipolar or they have some other issue that makes the closeness of the relationship feel more difficult or dysregulating rather than something that they want to enter into. And so they have sort of a chronic need to feel mad, not so much because of the parent's crimes against them, but more because they kind of need the distance. It's sort of what I call not being willing to take yes for an answer. Um, so whether a parent continues to try um, depends on, you know, kind of on what the diagnosis is and how dedicated, you know, how, how, how much they really want to keep opening the door and the history of this child's behavior. I mean, there's so many things that would go into kind of what the next steps would or wouldn't be based on that kind of a presentation. 
Okay, this is Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Dr. Joshua Coleman. When we return, it's holiday season, so we're going to start talking about um, how do you handle the holidays and other family events when there is this kind of turmoil going on in the family. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations, and I'm here with Dr. Joshua Coleman, and we've been talking about family estrangement. So, Dr. Coleman, um, you have a blog that I found very, very interesting that talks about common mistakes of uh, that parents make uh, with their adult children. So, uh, I know, but we're going to get to the other side. So, if you're an adult child and you're like, woohoo, let me hear about all these mistakes my parents made, it's soon going to be your turn. So, we do have a sense of balance on this show. So, but let's let's start with the the mistakes that we as parents make with our adult children. Well, I mean, I think the mistakes, if you're dealing with estrangement, one of the first one is to be thinking more about, you know, being too preoccupied with what's fair rather than what's actually going to work. So, so many parents feel like, well, it's not fair that my kid does this, therefore, 
you know, they owe it to me or that kind of thing, or, you know, I should be able to demand more time with them or my grandkids, and it's not fair because I was such a dedicated parent and gave them this great life and those kind of things, and that's just the wrong orientation. You will never get your kid to open up the door that way. And that's related to mistake number two, which is the the use of guilt. Guilt is completely ineffective today. It may have been effective at an earlier, you know, maybe at an earlier point, maybe, you know, half century before it was, it was more effective. And certainly in some cultures within the U.S. and certainly worldwide, guilt's a very effective way of motivating an adult child to stay in contact. But in general, that's not the glue that keeps families together. So trying to guilt trip your child into getting back in contact with you or stay in more contact with you uh, is always going to fail. The third is to fight fire with fire, meaning if your kid, like the letter that you were talking about, that the daughter wrote to the dad, who wrote the amends letter, you know, if he were to write something back equally hostile, bad idea. You know, you sort of want to, to, you know, take the high road. You can set limits if your kid's being abusive to you um, and say, you know, I am interested in what you have to say, but I'd like you to try to say it in a way that, that I can hear. Um, so you, it isn't like you have to just roll over and play dead. But, you know, if your kid, you know, writes something fiery to you and you write something back equally critical and negative, you're not going to open the door. It may feel good in the moment, but they're not going to to open the door to you. Um, the other is to understand that these things are typically reconciling with an estranged child is more often a marathon rather than a sprint. In other words, if it's, you know, if they've been doing this for a few years, it may well take time to, to heal and to get them to, you know, believe that you're sincere about being willing to change and to be open to, to what they have to say um, and those kind of things. So I think those are some of the more common mistakes. I mean, well, the other is if they, if you do write an amends letter is to qualify it with all kinds of things like saying I did the best that I could or blaming the other parent or blaming the child or accusing the child of not giving you enough credit for all the, th- the right things that you did. None of those things work and they all, they all backfire. So I would say those are probably some of the most common mistakes that parents make. I would think that especially at holiday time though, you know, one of the other um mistakes that happen in those situations is, and you alluded to this before, um, comments that are made um, about, you know, a, a significant other um, mm-hmm. or the other or the other family. Um, oh, that, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely that. Um, yeah, com- complaining, just being critical at all is going to turn your adult child away from you. So in general, the model of a close parent-adult child relationship is the same model that we have for a close marital relationship, and that's based on the principles of egalitarianism. That is that that while prior generations, rightly or wrongly, the parent was sort of always in the more authority role throughout the life, even if they weren't, you know, authoritarian, there was still this sort of expectation that the parent had that place in the adult child's life, that's no longer the case. So it has to be a relationship that's tendered between equals where the adult child has equal say about how their um, life, uh, what their childhood was like, what kind of relationship they want to have with them in the present, what the boundaries should be in terms of visiting, parent, you know, time with grandchildren, etc. So really failing to acknowledge the adult mm-hmm. child's um, ability to 
set the terms of the relationship um, is also critically important. You know, I must admit, actually, I don't have to admit, but I will admit that there are moments, just moments, when I say, oh, you know, I yearn for the authoritative times when, you know, <laughs> I was I, I was just reading a book that takes place in the 1800s in China, actually. And they were talking about that, you know, when they got married, the young woman moved into the home of the husband and the, and the mother-in-law. And whatever the mother-in-law said, did. That was it. It was law. And I'm like, oh. You know, maybe just for like 30 seconds could I be back there. <laughs> right. Just for once, can it be because I said so, even though you're 40, you know? That's right. <laughs> just a right. moment. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it, my, my colleague and friend historian, Stephanie Kuntz, wrote a great book called The Way We Never Were, which is kind of, you know, it's sort of like we can't really idealize. It, it's a critique of the 50s because it's very easy for we Americans to get all dewy-eyed about the 50s. 50s without saying that, yeah, and there's also, you know, um, enormous oppression of black people and gay people and, and women in marriage. I mean, so there was so much that was that was bad and wrong with our culture and society at the time. So, um, so the more authoritarian times, however positive they were, they also had a very dark underside to them as well. Right. So let's in the in trying to be a little bit balanced. So let's talk about some of the common, so to say, mistakes that adult children make when you know when dealing with their parents. Well, I think realistically, there's a sort of thing that I hear a lot from adult children, kind of that you should have known better, you should have done this, and you should have done that, and. Um, you know, my question is always, well, it isn't always because if I'm doing family therapy, I'm not going to really challenge the principle that that's based on or the premise that that's based on. But it's like, how is somebody, how can, how are you supposed to know, um, have known better at something that you actually didn't know? So it's like, um, so I think that that's a very problematic approach. A. B. Parenting change, parenting principles and ideals change every decade or so. And today's, um, you know, rarefied parenting environment may be tomorrow's ho hum, you know, big big deal. So um, the ideals that that an adult child may have now about how they should have been raised may not have been anywhere on the table for parents of earlier generations to have even known. Or, or considered. So for a child to say, an adult child to say, you know, you were wrong or selfish or whatever to, to do that, to me doesn't seem very supportable in terms of something to be mad about. I think it's something that the parent should feel empathic about. I think an adult child could say, I wish you had been able to do that differently. Um, you know, there was that information out there at the time. I wish you had been able to make yourself, avail yourself of it. But I don't think it's the same as saying I have a right to beat you up over it emotionally because you didn't because I think everybody basically makes the choices, best choices that they can make given what they know and how life has shaped them up to that moment. In some ways, there isn't truly a free will when it comes to, to parenting behavior because everybody is shaped by everything that preceded them up until that moment that they made even the most terrible decisions. So, so that's... Okay. No, go ahead, Dr. Goldman. I'm sorry. No, I, and the, I mean, the other is, so I think it's in the same way that I think it's important for, for 
parents to have a lot of empathy for the adult child. I do think it's it's useful for adult children to really think about where their parents came from and who they are, A, and B, to go back to what I was saying earlier, that if you are going to criticize your parent or complain about them, to know that that's going to it's going to be pretty humiliating to them. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I think you should do it if you want to have a better relationship with them. In the same way, we should complain about anybody we're close to if we want to have a better relationship with them. But but to do it in a way which you know doesn't isn't there to wound. It's not a great place if you want your parent to change to really you know try to you know launch your full anger at them um, about the ways that you felt hurt or mistreated. Now, it doesn't mean you can never do it, and particularly if you're, you really were mistreated you know, by your parent. It may be useful for you to say, look, I just need to vent about this for about 15 minutes, and then I'll be able to talk about it more productively. But for the next 15 minutes, I want you to just sit there and listen to me talk about all the ways that I felt, whatever, abused, mistreated, neglected by you. So I just want you to listen and nod your head and not say anything. And then after all that's done, I'm open to, you know, maybe the next day talking about it in a more, you know, low-key way. So That's interesting. I, um, I have an uh, exercise sometimes that I tell families. It sometimes works where we're talking about, you know, holiday dinners or families coming together. And mm-hmm. I, I literally tell them to put a piece of luggage near the door. Um, and and a tablet and a pen, and I tell them when they everyone walks in, you can just write down whatever you're ticked off about or whatever uh-huh. somebody did or whatever it is, and mm. just write it out and then take it out and just throw it in the piece of the luggage and just that's your baggage and literally leave it at the door because you know. That's like that. a good suggestion. You know, sometimes those really concrete things yeah, uh, exactly. real, really works with families. So, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, when we, okay, so we're going to take another quick break, unfortunately. When we come back, um, I really want to talk to Dr. Coleman about this issue of estrangement and how it um, begins to appear uh, in in families where they're suddenly doing caregiving, um, Mm. especially for parents from whom they've been estranged. So we'll be Mm. right back. Mm -hmm. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Sarah Care. We provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill. And we're going to talk about an issue that I see frequently at our um, Sarah Care um, Adult Day Centers, and that is um, people who are really struggling with the fact that they've had estrangement for a while or, or they've had ongoing conflicts um, with parents who they now are responsible either for their their care or arranging for their care. Um, and this seems to be a whole different level of conflict. Can, Dr. Coleman, can you comment on that? Sort of a, um, it's, it's so hard for those adult children who kind of choose to take it on because, and, I, and you know, serious props to, to those who, who are willing to do it because to, to take on the care of a parent that you feel like didn't care for you um, when you were young or as, as an adult, I think does take a sort of special kind of person. And, a lot, and, and it's not like everybody does, right? There's a lot of families that I work with that are estranged where the adult child, you know, hears that the parent has been diagnosed with cancer or is going into hospice and they, they don't, they don't respond back. And I'm not saying these are terrible people. I assume that they have their reasons for it. Um, but so for, so for an adult child who has been estranged but chooses to um, enter into a caretaking role for a parent either in the last phases of life or because they need more help, um, you know, I think that that's, that's sort of, um, it, it's a psychologically courageous thing to do. Um, and I think that I think that everybody has to be very mindful about what their, you know, as we get older, as our parents get older, um, what, how we're going to feel after they die. So, um, you know, occasionally I'll work with an adult child who's estranged and they're thinking about reconciling, uh, their parents are older, uh, or they're thinking about not. And sometimes, you know, just thinking about it, so how, how are you going to feel two years from now? And I don't ask it in a guilt-trippy way. It's kind of like, all right, so it's two years from now. Are you going to look back and think, gee, I should have said something or done something? Because when somebody's dead, they're dead. And you can't, your ability to sort of turn back the clock is impossible. And we all have regrets, even if we um, did a reasonable job with our parents and their in their last year or so. So I think the person who does that can reasonably feel like they're kind of, you know, that they've done kind of the right thing by taking care of the parent, even though the parent, uh, even though they had serious complaints about the parent. 
What is your um, tips for or suggestions for parents who may be listening now whose children are younger? And they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, it really, is this my future? Um, you know, I, these children love me so much right now. You know, will, will yeah. they become like goblins later on? So do you have any suggestions for parents of, you know, of younger children, you know, teenagers or younger children? Well, I think the main thing is to just that, that working on a relationship with their children is really a lifelong process. It doesn't end when they're in college. It doesn't end when they're in their early 20s. It's, it's a lifelong process. So the earlier that you can develop um, kind of strategies of communicating with your kid, having them be open with you, showing yourself to be somebody who's open to um, negative or critical feedback without being walked on. I think too many parents are too guilt-ridden today and sort of don't insist on a kind of respect. Um, you know, the psychologist Diana Bomerind, B-A-U-M-R-I-N-D, has this distinction between um, um, permissive, authoritative, and, and authoritarian parents. And the model today that's kind of gotten the best results is the authoritative, where you, where the kid is taught to be respectful of the, parent, the parent's authority, but the relationship is also quite close, in contrast to authoritarian, where it's all about the parent's authority and not as much interested in how the child feels, or permissive, where it's only about the child's feelings and not at all about how the parent feels. So, um, so the more I think that parents can keep that window open, because conflict is inevitable, um, so that when conflict occurs, your kid knows that they can come to you and say, you know, it really made me mad when you did that or hurt my feelings. And the parent can say, well, you know, I'm sorry, or tell me more about it, or that they can really work on the relationship. I think that those principles are the most key. It's it's interesting. I just was in a conversation with someone talking about um, her niece, and she was saying that, um, it, you know, this child was having, uh, the niece's child was having a temper tantrum. Um, and she said to her, you know, oh, I'm so sorry you're having a meltdown. Um, how can I help you in this meltdown? And I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. This is I just heard this from <laughs> last week's show where our guest was, was talking about, you know, how this need for happiness has entered into our yeah, parenting. Um, exactly. Who is your guest? I, is it Christine Carter? Uh, oh my gosh, I'm pulling a blank. I'm sorry. I'm having my my little own senior moment here. That's okay. But, I have them yeah. all the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but she was she was so and she said to me, "When the heck did a temper tantrum become a meltdown? And why do I need to support you in this?" Exactly. You know? Well, that's you the know. thing is that, that parents today were all so worried whether we're raising young children or older children. All parents are worried, and all parents across all the classes are, and they're all worried about the potential that their children aren't going to kind of make it through this narrow bottleneck of either getting into college or once they're in college, succeeding in college, and once they're out of college, actually getting a decent job. The parents are worried about some kind of calamity befalling them if they don't have insurance being, you know, if they're upper class falling to the middle class, if they're middle class falling to the working class, if they're working class being in the, sent into poverty. Um, so everybody's worried, and they're also worried about the state of the world. So worry permeates the family environment, um, and it makes parents more anxious, obviously, but also makes them more guilt-ridden and more, and that can actually not necessarily be good for parents because it can make parents really 
intrusive. You know, if we made mistakes as parents in my parents' generation, I'm, you know, I was born in the 50s, and so I'm in my 60s now, um, you know, our parents were much more likely to make the mistakes of being kind of not enough evolved, particularly dads. Whereas I think since the 1960s, if we make mistakes, it's really been that we're too involved, we're too intrusive, we're too worried, we're too, too enmeshed. So that can create its own problems later in life because some kids just want to push them back away from the parent in adulthood, and some estrange themselves just because they don't know any other way to feel separate from the parent. So that's also a piece of this whole puzzle. Uh, Dr. Coleman, I wish we had more time with you, but we Me don't. Too. So well, we'll have to um, keep the conversation going. Well, yes. Yeah, so tell us, though, <laughs> about your, your webinars and your books and your blogs. Tell sure. us all. So I, do a, um, I have a free, um, a free newsletter for estranged parents. It's called The Coleman Report. You can sign up for it at my website at dot drjoshuacoleman.com that's drjoshuacoleman.com Coleman spelled like the lantern no relationship unfortunately um, I also do a free Monday Q&A for estranged parents which you can also sign up for my webinar um, and then I do a Tuesday night ongoing series for estranged parents where we talk about things like you know handling disrespect and abuse um, is it time to let go writing an amends letter, how do I cope with the pain, um, you know, with the role of divorce. So there's a lot of different topics that we talk about uh, every week, and that also has a, a Q&A as well. So um, my email is uh, josh at drjoshuacoleman.com if you want to reach out to me, j-o-s-h at drjoshuacoleman.com. Thank you very much, Dr. Coleman. Um, This was very, very good as always. And uh, thank you very much for agreeing to come back again. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you. You too. As always, I ask you to do just one thing for yourself um, this week. Uh, You're very, very important to everyone around you. Um, And in order to keep caring for other people, you you really need to take care of yourself. So even if you just walk outside for five minutes or you do something more uh, for yourself, uh, you really need to do just one thing for yourself. This is Dr. Merrill. I hope you'll continue to email me. I love receiving your emails and we do respond to them or are contacting us through Facebook. It's Caught Between Generations. Hope you have a great week. And remember, take really good care of yourself. You're very important to a lot of people. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. 